Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Ich warte seit Wochen auf diesen Tag und tanz vor Freude über den Asphalt. Als wär's ein Rhythmus, als gäb's ein Lied, das mich immer weiter durch die Straßen zieht. Komm dir entgegen. Hallo und willkommen zu Gegenpressing, the Bundesliga Podcast. And yeah, this is going to be a, a special show. Really looking forward to this one. Um, Stefan, first of all, how is it going? We have a special guest today, so that's exciting. But how are you doing? Yes, I'm very, very well. Uh, another crazy weekend of Bundesliga football. Uh, my predictions every week are taking an absolute battering at the moment because it's just mayhem. Uh, but yeah, very, very excited for this show. We had Derek Ray on a few weeks ago, and now we have a guest who's just as good, just as entertaining, and anyone who follows German football on Twitter really should be following this guy because his transfer stories and his reporting and his writing is, is just tremendous. So, yeah, I'll let I'll, I'll let you have the uh, honors of, of introducing him. Yeah, we've been trying to get him on for a while, and, and it's not because he didn't want to. It's just, you know, timing sometimes is odd and doesn't always work out. I've known him for a long time, and... Um, Yes, you're absolutely right, Stefan. His reporting is top-notch. Um, speaking of Kerry Howe, of course, formerly of Spocks, now of Sport1. First of all, congrats on a new role, Kerry. Um, yeah, how are you doing? First of all, thank you very much for these kind words. Uh, my pleasure to be here. And yeah, I'm fine. I'm very well. Had a good uh, football game on the weekend by Jan Hoffenheim was a great game and uh, I think uh, good for the Bundesliga because it was so interesting and so many chances on both sides. So uh, really looking forward to to speak to you about football. Yeah, um, I think we need to talk about the elephant in the room, the, the story that kind of all of us surprised us and that I, I am talking, of course, about Hertha and their disastrous performance against Gladbach in what was the, Derek Ray named it the Entlassico, as in the, whoever, get, whoever loses gets fired. Um, <laughs> <laughs> of course, Hertha did lose and, you know, it was only a question. I think when Korkut got hired, I was thinking, well, this is only going to be a matter of time until he gets fired. But... I don't do this very often on any show that I record. So if you have your kids listening to the show, make sure their eyes, ears are closed right now because here it is. One, two, three. What the fuck, Hertha? Like, seriously, what are you doing? <laughs> you're firing Korkut and you're hiring Felix Magath. Um, I'm going to go to you first, Stefan. The events that took place and the decision-making behind this, what was your first thoughts? Yeah, this is this is crazy. Um, I mean, I think for a long time we've talked about Hertha and we've made the suggestions on here that for at least the last month now, I think, that they look like the team most likely to get relegated. 
um, except for obviously Greutherford. But besides that, uh, Hertha were the, you know, it's not just in terms of poor, uh, you know, unfortunate results. The overall team performances weren't happening. Sporting directors were get, were leaving. Obviously, they they've already changed head coaches this season. Um, the whole club has looked in chaos uh, for the entire season, and you know, it, it the appointment of Corcoat was just the most bizarre one. Um, it's one that we criticised on here at the time. It's one that I think German football as a whole was quite surprised at. Um, and it, it it seemed then as though Bobic didn't really know what he was doing or he had no idea what he was doing. And with this new appointment, it's the same again. I think, I mean, I, 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 I was following along with the press conference and, you know, Bobic said something that made me laugh when, you know, I think someone asked, was Bagata kind of... Um, an emergency appointment was he? A, was he a, a pan, as you would say, maybe a panic buy uh, in the transfer window? And someone and he said, "Oh no, no, no! It's something I've been thinking about for a long time. You know, we just had to be careful when they brought him in." And you know, if I was a Hertha Berlin fan, I'd I'd be really struggling to believe anything that Bobic said at this point because it just does seem as though he's making it up as he goes along. And I don't appreciate being this harsh on him because I thought he did a very good job at his previous club, but. Things at Hertha, just from very top to the very bottom, uh, are falling apart, whether it be the investors putting money in or, or more accurately, not putting money in anymore, uh, sporting directors leaving, uh, head coaches coming and going, very bizarre situation of the previous head coach who was jumping between youth team to first team to youth team to first team, um, and then obviously these very bizarre managerial appointments. Corcoat and Magat are two coaches who very different careers, but also but in, they also have something in common, which is neither of them have done anything in the Bundesliga of recently. Uh, so, you know, it's just the latest in a long line of bizarre decisions that have been made at Hertha Berlin. Yeah, Kerry, um, the latest of a long line of bizarre decisions at Hertha Berlin. Um, Market hasn't been a head coach at any club since he was in charge of SD Luneng in China, where he worked for 55 games. Um, since then, Admir Wacker, global sports director on Würzburg Kickers, a global sports director. I mean, this is a guy who is as far removed from the Bundesliga as we are from the moon. Like, what did you think when you heard about this? Yeah, it was unbelievable. I mean, are we, we really in 2022 or... 2002 <laughs> i had to check several times uh, to make sure this wasn't a fake account not um he hasn't coached at the highest level for 10 years now and it's a really shame i think when you see that so many young good modern coaches uh, got their coaching license over the last year but we are still talking about candidates like magat or friedhelm funkel i think it's a shame no offense to them but they are completely out of time I'm not sure if they are ready or Magad is ready to to teach the young generation to pick them up in the same way. So for me, a crazy decision, to be honest. And uh, full respect to, to Felix Magad, what he did, especially with Bayern Munich uh, winning the double two times in a row. But I think he's not ready to, to coach in 2022. 
Yeah, it's it is such a weird and bizarre decision. And I mean, Carrie, when you look at what Freddy Bobic done at at Eintracht Frankfurt, a club that he seemingly turned around. Um, I spoke to Bobic last last year in the fall, and one of the things that he said to me was that all the money the investor has put in, it's 375 million. And he, I quote, he said, that's all gone now. Um, one source that I spoke to on the weekend pointed out to me that they have almost no funds. So is this, is this almost desperation in carry? Like what is Bobic thinking? Because this is so contrary to what he's done at Frankfurt. Yeah, I think in Frankfurt he had also the support from Ben Manga, scouting a lot of players, giving him advice. He was so important to to get players like Luka Jovic, for example, young players, good players with a huge talent because he's also speaking a lot of languages, um, bringing in players also from South America. Um, and yeah, for example, Ben Manga, he, he's a visionary. He wanted to bring Raul Gonzalez, for example, to Eintracht Frankfurt in the summer. He has good solutions in mind. And I think now maybe we see the, the real Freddy Bobic. I'm not sure because in Stuttgart he didn't he didn't do a good job. We, we remember his time over there. And uh, for me, it's difficult to to evaluate the, the work from Freddy Bobic so far um, at Berlin. He's been there for one year and many, many bad decisions also from the from other people in the club. But yeah, if, if Magat <laughs> doesn't bring now the, the solution, uh, if they cannot stay in the Bundesliga, it will be very difficult for, for Freddy Bobic because it was his decision to bring in Korkut. It was his decision to bring in Magat now. And it's, it's they are desperate, I think, because they also had like talks with coaches like Niko Kovac, um, also with Gistol, <laughs> but in the end it is Magat, and I think it's the it's the worst solution for them right now. Um, after Korkut, I think some Hertha fans they, they thought it couldn't be much much worse, but but it is actually because Magat he's not a coach since so many years, and yeah, I, I cannot believe it to be honest. Um, in football, anything is possible. But if you look also at the squad, at the at the team, and Hertha Berlin is not a team. A lot of a lot of players who are thinking about themselves, they're not working as a team. And I'm not sure if Magat is is the person right now to to bring them together. Also, the younger players, the younger generation. Yeah, I, I think there's a lot there to unpack, Stefan. One of the things that Bubic said to me, and I think it was in December. Um, was that he didn't look for quality, but for character. Um, right now, this team has neither quality or character. Is that a fair assessment? What do you think? Yeah, I mean, I, I don't think there's any doubt that, <clears throat> excuse me, um, you know, on paper, this Hertha squad is perfectly fine. I still think they've spent a lot of money on some very average players, but it's still perfectly good enough to avoid relegation. But that's the thing that kind of scares me a little bit. If I was a Hertha Berlin fan and taking into account what you said in the sense that there's no money at the club, um, it's 
the club are in a very precarious situation because not only have they spent a huge amount of money on a lot of big name players, um, they've also brought them in on huge contracts. And then if you look through that um, that entire squad, you have a number of big players there who are on very long term contracts. And if Hertha do get relegated, there may be clauses in which they have to sell these players on, or they might have clauses in which they, you know, they take a wage cut. I assume they probably would. But there's still a squad, and it's a club that's still tethered to these expensive, underperforming players. And you know, <laughs> it's maybe not an un- it's not maybe not a fair comparison. But I look at the situation Hertha, and, and it just reminds me so much of Schalke. And I don't just mean in terms of on the pitch, they're useless. I mean, off the pitch, they're also useless. And off the pitch, they're actually very dangerously poorly run in the sense that they've got so many big players on big contracts, on long-term contracts, and nobody wants to buy them. Um, and that's the some, that's the thing that would really concern me. Um, I think I said this to you actually in our group chat, on our WhatsApp group chat the other day, that once Hertha go down this season... It, comfortably see them being stuck there for five or ten years and it would take them a long time to get over this group of expensive players which they they've signed off the back of the promise of investment and now that that investment's gone the club have been stuck with all these players uh, and I think it could get really really nasty yeah I, I think so too it, it's it's a big I mean the, the future doesn't look um, very rosy for for Hertha does it um yeah it's an interesting story one to follow I like you guys I'm baffled over the decision to hire Magat um maybe he's gonna prove us all wrong I would be shocked if he does um yeah speechless a little bit <laughs> if you're a Hertha fan listening to this I'm sorry I don't have much hope to offer for you and I'm with Stefan if they go down then I think they're going to be there for a long time. And we've seen it with other clubs that have been mismanaged. It, it is very difficult to get out of the Bundesliga too. Um, guys, I want to talk before we get to um, maybe some more positive topics, maybe not. I want to talk about um, Florian Wirtz. Uh, Kerry, that's a shock, the, the injury to maybe Germany's brightest talent. Um, Florian Wirtz tore his ACL on the weekend in Leverkusen's loss. Um, what was your first reaction to that? Yeah, I was shocked. Uh, Florian Wirtz is the most important player for Bayer Leverkusen this season. Um, such a huge talent uh, with his age. He's doing things on the pitch. <laughs> Crazy, like Jamal Musiala. Um, together with Musiala, I would say, is the biggest talent we have in Germany right now. And uh, seeing him injured for a long time, uh, seven, eight, maybe nine months, is a huge, huge shock for German football, uh, also for the World Cup. I think this World Cup won't be his World Cup because um, he is so young. He has so many time to recover now because it's important for him to take time with this injury. Um, I saw many things in football. Uh, I remember Sami Khedira in 2014. Um, he had the same injury and he returned after six months to play the Champions League final with Real Madrid and to win the World Cup with Germany. Never say never, but um, Viet still has his whole career ahead of him. And I think he should take time to, to recover good. Um, 
right now it's a it's a big big uh, thing for Leverkusen also not also not only from a sporting point of view but also financially I think they actually wanted to sell him for 100 120 million in 2023 if everything fits but now of course they have to wait how the things develop um, but yeah for, from a sporting point of view uh, also also a big uh, defeat uh, a huge a huge thing for Leverkusen because they they want to qualify for the Champions League and I think right now it will be very difficult for them because if you look on the table there are a lot of teams competing for for the spots and yeah uh, I spoke to a source from Leverkusen and they're, they're so shocked about his injury um, yeah I think everyone is shocked in German football how big of an impact do you think this this injury had on the field um i mean i i'll be honest um i watched only the last 60 minutes of this game um after the the Wirtz injury already happened and i only found out around halftime how bad it actually was seeing the pictures of him being um carried off the field and in you know what looked like a really serious injury. And then I think um, it was during the Dortmund game that the confirmation came in that it was the ACL. Um, but how, how big do you think this impacted them in the derby against Köln? A big game for both Leverkusen and Köln. And Köln, of course, the winner. But there wasn't really much resistance anymore from Leverkusen afterwards. It seemed like it almost took the air out of this team, didn't it? Yeah, they were completely shocked. And Wirtz, uh, he went to the hospital immediately after after his substitution so i think the heads were down after after injury and um yeah leverkusen he is already a leader for this team uh, he's so young but you have to say this he is the leader in the in the attack um with patrick schick and patrick schick is also injured not that not that bad but um everyone knew after that foul or after that uh, that injury that is something something serious and that Wirtz would probably be out for several months so uh, a huge shock for 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 also his teammates i think right and stefan i mean you look at the table now a few weeks ago and i i might regret this now i said the top four was set and the top top for me for me was bayern dortmund leverkusen and leipzig now I, I do think Leipzig are going to be firmly in this top four, Stefan. Just the, the result in the weekend, another fantastic performance by them, right? But Freiburg and Hoffenheim are both on 44 points too. You have Köln. Okay, there's a little bit of gap now with 39 points. Leverkusen now on 45. Um, a difficult return game against Atalanta in the Europa League. They're down 3-2. Remember, no away goals. So it's essentially a 1-0 one, one deficit, isn't it? This could be one of those things that could really torpedo their season, right? Yeah, absolutely. I thought um, I actually didn't catch the derby, but I did watch the Atalanta game, and you know, it's kind of what we've what we've come to expect from Leverkusen this season. They were very good in attack, um, and they were struggling defensively. And you know, I think it's 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 obviously such horrible, horrible news. Um, the only silver lining you could maybe attach to it is that maybe it's you know I'm trying to think like down down the down down the down the roads in the terms of 
you know, how this year could have played out for him if he would have maybe made the Germany national team squad for the World Cup. It's probably a huge bit of a long shot, but you never know with Hansi Flick. Um, and you, you have to kind of wonder if there, if there was burnout on the horizon anyway. Maybe that could have been a part of what caused the injury. Um, but I think in terms of Leverkusen, it's also a huge blow. Uh, he reminds me a lot or I think he's very similar to Jude Bellingham in the sense that they're both very young, but they both have this kind of burning ambition, which not only drives them on, but it automatically makes them leaders on the pitch. Uh, you know, we've seen Bellingham in the last couple of weeks kind of get pulled up for the way he screams at players. Poor Schultz was getting abuse off him a few weeks ago because he couldn't pass properly. But when you watch Leverkusen, Florian Wirtz is very similar. He's, he's, the, he's sometimes... Okay, maybe he's not the furthest forward because Patrick Shake or whoever else up front is playing, but he is the leader and attack. Everything goes through him. And if things aren't working well for Leverkusen, you can see he's shouting at his teammates, getting them forward, um, maybe a little petulant at times. Uh, I thought he was actually quite petulant in the Atalanta game. Um, so he was showing his youth there. But in terms of Leverkusen, what this means for their season, it's it's a little precarious. If you look at that, uh, the Bundesliga table, I think Leipzig are more than likely to leapfrog them, um, you know, quite comfortably. Freiburg looked very good. I thought Hoffenheim were very good against Bayern Munich. Hones is doing a very great, good job there. All season, really, they've been very good. So, you know, while Leverkusen are beginning to stumble a bit, they have these two teams below them who have a lot of momentum at the moment. So it'd be really interesting to see how it works out, but... I wouldn't be surprised if we were to see Bayern, Dortmund and RB Leipzig finish in the top three and then Leverkusen maybe drop out. But it really depends how quickly they can get Schick back and how well he can do to kind of fill in. Because they obviously still have a number of good players. They've still got Diaby, who's having a very good season as well. So it's not the very end uh, of this Leverkusen team. They're not a one-man team. Uh, but it's a huge blow for one of the Bundesliga's not only just most promising, but genuinely already one of their best players. Yeah, it's also sad because you want to see those guys, right? I'm, I'm curious about the World Cup and the timeline for it. Um, it's March now. You need about six months of recovery from the ACL. But like, this is the recovery from the surgery. So we're talking six months until you're actually like running. Um, that's tight. That's really close. I mean, that puts us into. September, October, and then you need another two to three months to to, to get to the stage where you were before. Um, You usually say as long as it takes you to to get back from an injury, you have to then add that time again until you actually reach your full form again. We started with Manuel Neuer, who was out for a year and then took an additional year to reach his form again. Uh, You see it with other guys that came back from ACLs. I mean, maybe the silver lining is one of Germany's best players all time philip lam suffered an early acl injury in his career and actually came back um in fantastic form of course um so you know this is not the end of a career by any means it's just a long time in the take making for an acl injury to come back from and i wish him all the best um we'll see what, what this future holds um carrie i do want to ask you about this champions league race because i think it's probably the most important most interesting thing other than relegation battle in, in the Bundesliga. And 
Hoffenheim in particular looked very good against Bayern. And you know um, Hoeneß, of course, from the time when he was at um, in charge of Bayern Munich 2. What do you make of what he's done with Hoffenheim? Yeah, he has done very good so far. I think um, the squad compared to other squads, for example, Leipzig squad or even Leverkusen, it's not that high in offensive quality. But they they know how to press. They know how to create chances. They have a lot of talents in their team. Chris Richards from Bayern Munich, Justin Che coming from from Dallas. Um, he's not play playing so far, but I think he will play in the near future. He was on the bench against Bayern Munich, so they also have like very good scouting uh, department. They, they know how to develop those talents and to give them chances and we saw Hoeneß at Bayern uh, at Bayern's second team um, he knows how to develop those players and yeah with good players like Kramaric I think they have uh, the potential to to reach one of the first four or five uh, spots in the league mm, I have to agree with, with Stefan uh, I think Bayern, uh, Dortmund, Leipzig, they will qualify and then it's up to Leverkusen. I don't know if Freiburg will be there in the end. They do a good job, um, but it will be, I think, between uh, Leverkusen and Hoffenheim. And they have, both, both teams have, have the quality and um, you saw that against Bayern Munich. They, they were playing so good, creating chances. They also had a bit of uh, luck. And Johan Nagelsmann was complaining about the pitch a little bit. Uh, pitch was too dry. But in the end, I think it was a, a good result for both teams because both teams, they, they created so many chances and, and could, could draw 5-5 five five in the end. So um, a very good um, game of football and uh, showed that Hoffenheim is a good team. And can compete and will play definitely in a, in a European uh, tournament next season. Could I could, could I jump in there very quickly, Manu, and ask Kerry a question? <clears throat> this is perhaps a cheeky question, Kerry, but what do you think the chances are of Sebastian Hones becoming the Bayern Munich head coach one day? Why not? He has like uh, <laughs> he has like um, uh, passed with Bayern Munich. He yeah. is Bayern Munich he's, fan. He's Bavarian he loves, royalty. Yeah, he loves <laughs> he loves the club. Yeah, um, his uncle has still a lot of uh, power in the club. So the king of could, Bayern. Yeah, could <laughs> could be an option, and we know it. Bayern Munich it, it could could be fast, not with, with Kovac. Uh, Bayern wanted, or Bayern wanted like a, a solution for many years with Nico Kovac. This was the the goal. And they wanted a long-term solution with Hansi Flick. Now they want a long-term solution with Julian Nagelsmann. In the end, it's very exhausting being coached from Bayern Munich. And I think Koenis, he's still young. He he will develop other teams. And mm. and why not? I think um, his style of playing football, his idea how to develop young, young players, talents, I think this fits with Bayern Munich's philosophy. Um, but right now they are not not looking for for a replacement for Julian Nagelsmann. This is something I can confirm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we don't want a radio carry here saying like uh, you know before you know it, you're all over Twitter saying Hoeneß is going to be the next manager of Bayern Munich. <laughs> uh, we all know how this goes, but um, I do 
before we do move over to Bayern, I have a question for you as well, Carrie, because I've been pondering this for quite some time. And there are reports out there now that Bayern Munich are looking to sell him. And this is Chris Richards. What is Bayern Munich going to do with Chris Richards? And especially because they have so many issues at center back, are they really going to sell him? What's what's your thought there? It's completely open. That's what several sources told me over the last weeks. Um, the player himself is very happy at Hoffenheim. He wants to play, he wants to develop. And at Bayern Munich, he so far didn't have the chance to play a lot. And he didn't have the best preseason. I remember some performances against Cologne. Uh, was a preseason match he didn't defend very well and Nagelsmann was not so happy with him but in the end um, I think he could be an option over the next years and if if there doesn't arrive a good offer he could he could be part again of the squad and then we have to see but um, yeah we know about the competition uh, Bayern Munich want to want to bring in a new center back one new center back they plan with Benjamin Pavard and, and Lucas Hernandez and Diablo Pamecano. And if even Tangi Nianzu doesn't get that much chances, I doubt that Chris Richards will get enough chances to, to play at Bayern Munich. For him, it's important to play. And Hoffenheim is a very good uh, very good address for him. Um, Hoene is a very good coach for him. But there's no decision so far. Yeah, I find that very intriguing, Stefan, the whole centre-back debate at Bayern Munich. We have talked about this a lot. Um, Nagelsmann seems to be very unhappy with his squad. And, of course, he also seems to be very complaining in general. Like, What did you make, Stefan, about his comments about the field in Hoffenheim, that it was too dry or too stumpf in German? Um, I thought that was... I don't know. It just kind of highlights how precarious everything is right now internally. What did you make of it? Yeah, it was a very interesting comment. Um, it's a head coach probably making excuses for his team. Um, you know, Bayern have been such an interesting team to watch this season because they are top of the Bundesliga. They're comfortably top of the Bundesliga and at times, there have been serious question marks asked of them, and they have risen to the occasion, except perhaps in the Pokal. Um, but you know, but there's still certainly work to be done there. Um, I even thought in the Salzburg game at, at the Allianz Arena, they looked very unconvincing until all of a sudden they were very convincing, and if, if that makes any sense. Um, and then again in this Hoffenheim game, I I was tweeting before the game, and I said, you know. If you looked at that Salzburg match, Salzburg, Salzburg ran up an XG of maybe 0.76, I think, which may just sound like statistical gobbledygook, but what it really means is they had two or three decent chances before Bayern got their first goal. Uh, and knowing that Hodes is a very smart coach, I wondered if he'd do the same thing, and he did. Hoffenheim really came out in that game and attacked Munich. Uh, and, the, and the thing is that, as we've seen time and time again this season, Bayern Munich are not very good defensively. Um, you could really go through that entire squad of defenders and pick holes in each one of their games. Ironically, perhaps, or maybe not ironically, um, depressingly for Bayern fans, I think Niklas Sula is probably the most the best all round defender they have at the moment. But yeah, there's there's definitely issues when 
Opa Meccano continues to come in and out of the squad. It's all very well and good. See, he'll be a good player one day, but you know, Bayern Munich are not the kind of club that wait around for you to become a good player. You have to be a good player when you arrive at the club. And in terms of Nagelsmann's remarks, look, it's not as if Hoffenheim are, you know, some defensive relegation battling squad who play long balls up the pitch all game. They're an attacking team. They, they know how to counter-attack with the ball on the ground. And they did a very good job of cutting through Bayern Munich time and time again. So they were played on the same grass as Bayern Munich. Um, and I don't think it's really the, 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 the dry grass that put, uh, you know, that made Thomas Muller offside, what, three separate times? Maybe it was, I don't know. But I think it's, I think it's a head coach who's very frustrated with how things are going at Bayern, even though you know, on paper or maybe from the outside, it looks as though things are doing, are going perfectly well. But we've talked about this before, you know, we've talked about how if you kind of take a step back and look at the way, where the squad is going and where it has been in terms of the quality that they have in every position, you know, there's a lot of frustration out there amongst Bayern Munich fans with Salihamovic and the players who he is or isn't bringing in to replace the ones who have moved on. And it wouldn't surprise me if that kind of frustration is what is coming to the fore with Nagelsmann there, because he may be looking five months down the line and thinking, you know, if I don't get a proper central defender here, I'm going to really struggle next season. So I think I think a lot of it comes down to um, Bayern's defensive issues and whether they can actually match a very good team in Europe. And perhaps Nagelsmann looking long-term and wondering if the club really do have the proper solutions to the problems that they've had to deal with in terms of key players leaving the last 12 months. I do think it's interesting that Niklas Suda has been, I mean, you guys can correct me if you think I'm wrong, but he's been one of the best players in that squad and he's gone <laughs> by the end of the season. And I think he's going to leave a huge hole there. It's, I, I still think it's intriguing that this time around Dortmund actually took a key player from Bayern um, It's a very interesting story altogether. And Kerry, Nagelsmann has been very open about the issues with the squad. And the counter-argument, of course, from the Bayern bosses has been that he should be developing some of these other players. What did you? What do you make of this whole debate between Nagelsmann and the Bayern bosses? Well, there, is no per there are no personal problems so far between Nagelsmann and the Bayern bosses, but... Yeah, he is frustrated because uh, we are really talking right now about a financial problem. COVID-19, the many players who left the club on a free transfer or were sold badly over the last years and the increased salaries for players like like Kimmich, Goretzka, Coman, they have limited the, the financial possibilities for the club. And you see it if you look at the squad because Nagelsmann, he would like to play 3-4-3 with real real good offensive right back and not with Sesh Knabri because Sesh Knabri doesn't want to play at this position too and he doesn't have the players Bunasar doesn't have the Bayern Munich quality we saw it with Hansi Flick already and Bayern didn't manage to to sell him the last summer and to bring in a new right back for Nagelsmann um, the, he wants a player similar to Alfonso Davis on the on the left side to 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 show his ideas, to, to bring his ideas on the pitch. And I think this is a huge problem. Um, Nagelsmann is frustrated. There's no personal problem so far, but 
you can see that there is something because if you look now at the transfer issues, I spoke to a source recently telling me that even an amount of 20 million euros is too much for a right back. And that's just one example. So you can see that, that there is a problem with the transfer, with the politic of transfers and the squad planners, not only Salihamidzic, also Marco Neppel, they have to have to give him the squad he, he needs to to let play Nagelsmann football. Yeah, um, the money is a big issue, isn't it? And it's if you say 20 million is about the budget for a right back, there isn't much you can get for that. Um, not in the, that type of squad. I mean, you could go and think outside the box and hope that you maybe somewhere find a second Alfonso Davies, right? Who they paid, I think the base fee was 10 million. When you add all bonuses, I'm talking $10 million. It was about $10 million. And I think with all bonuses, it can reach $22 million dollars. But that's further down the road. That's not a lot of money available for a player carry. Yeah, definitely. And bosses always saying, "Yeah, we have to be creative," and that's that's the point. Mm. And it's difficult to find every year Alfonso Davis, Jamal Musiala. Um, now they're bringing Paul Wanner to the first team over the next seasons. He will be an important player because everyone is talking about Florian Wirtz, and and we're talking about Florian Wirtz. And before he got injured, that he could be an option for Bayern Munich in next year's no. This is no possibility. Bayern cannot pay 100 million for 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 a player. For sure, he is an interesting player. For sure, Bayern Munich like those players, but they don't have the financial opportunity to get such players. So they have to be creative, have to look to the Bayern campus and bring in players like Paul Wanner, special huge talents. But you don't find. Uh, Alfonso Davis or Jamal Musiala every season. So Wanner is 16 years old. He needs also time and he needs the um, yeah the, the trust from the manager and he will get the trust from the manager. But he's 16 years old. So in Bayern Munich, they they need they need to be careful also with other with other topics like the contract situation with Robert Lewandowski. They didn't mm. talk to the players so far. So there are a lot of things I cannot really understand. And for me, it's a big like a mystery right now what's happening uh, with some players. See, it, it, I, think it, I think it's really interesting because you've kind of got two things happening here, don't you? On the one side, you have Bayern Munich trying to, you know, transform possibly into a different type of club and how they behave in the transfer market because... You know, you make a very good point that 20 million euros is not enough for Bayern Munich to buy a right back, but it's enough for RB Leipzig to buy a right back because RB Leipzig have the scouting and they have the network and they have the confidence to go pluck some kid from Croatia, uh, developing them in their system. And within six or eight months, he's ready to sit on the bench for RB Leipzig. And, you know, there's an advantage to that because the club and their wider network of clubs um, have have put huge amount of resources and, 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 and time and effort into developing that. So on the one hand, you have Bayern who are probably having to come to terms with the fact that the days of them simply building a squad with their favourite players from other Bundesliga clubs are, is, is now over because they simply can't afford to buy the best Bayern, uh, Borussia Dortmund players or the best Leverkusen players or the best 
RB Leipzig players. I know they signed Upa Meccano and their head coach, but I think that's an exception possibly. But on, on the other hand, you maybe also have Nagelsmann going from a very well-resourced squad to a less, resor- a less resourced squad, which seems weird to say because Bayern Munich are always top of the pile in German football. But, you know, Manu and I, we've been... I think we both said this at the start of the season that if you look at the two squads but side by side, I think RB Leipzig's squad looked far better stacked. It looked far more depth. Uh, okay, maybe they don't have a Lewandowski. Maybe they don't have a, uh, you know, I was going to say a Kingsley Coman, but you know, Christopher Nkunku is doing a good job of being just as good as him. Uh, and maybe they don't have a Kimmich. Okay, maybe that's a better example. But, you know, Tedesco has two or three fullbacks at the ready, he has two or three central defenders whenever he needs them. He's got about 15,000 strikers to pick from. And, you know, maybe Nagelsmann's actually having to struggle, or he is struggling with his own transition from going from a squad and a club that's so well-resourced that he has two or three players in every position to one at Bayern Munich that has very, very good players in key positions. But the actual squad depth in that club right now isn't as good as maybe, you know, his previous club. It's a really interesting point. Um, I still wonder what would have happened if Leipzig had started with Tedesco. I think they were would be in a very, very different position. Um, we'll find out next year, I guess. Next year, they were, when they both get to start on zero points. And um, I think it could be a very different season, especially if Bayern do not get that center back. And... Carry a name that's been mentioned a lot is, of course, Matthias Ginter. He's he's a free transfer at the end of the season. Um, I do get the sense, though, when I talk to people at Bayern, that that's almost like an emergency signing. That, he, that he's the guy that they're going to go for if everything else fails. And one name that has been brought up is uh, Gleisen Bremer Silva Nascimento from, from Torino, or just Bremer. Um, not going to be cheap either. I mean, his market value right now is 20 million euros. We have the Serie A update, a transfer mark tomorrow. I can tell you right now he's going up. Not allowed to say it by how much, but he is going up. And so Torino are going to look at this and say, well, we're not going to sell this guy for cheap. So you're telling me they have a 20 million euro budget for a right back. What's the budget for a center back carry? Yeah, it's it's very exciting because it's it's not clear. I don't have like the the final information right now for which center back they will go. Um, they spoke to to Bremer's agent several times. Um, they think the player is very interesting. Also, a player um, who could be a leader for defense, communicating a lot. But yeah, the problem is always the the financial. Uh, the financial package. Um, in the end, I think uh, Torino they they want between twenty and twenty five million for him. But there are other teams pushing, like like Inter Milano, Juventus are also interested. So there's a lot of competition. Um, but if Bayern want to want to bring in quality, I think Prima would be the better better player than Matthias Ginter. Matthias Ginter is not even a leader at Borussia Mönchengladbach. Um, Matthias Ginter is a good player, uh, solid player, but this is no Bayern material and a lot of people in charge think like this and they also had had like some talks with, with Ginter's agent, um, with his management and telling like, okay, if we fail with other players, 
we it could be that we talk again to you and i'm not sure if they have another plan um right now for the center back because christensen won't come um antonio rüdiger maybe could be an option again because he he will be free also from chelsea but yeah the, his salary demands are also very high so this is the problem in the end by munich they have serious financial problems in 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 their whole in their whole club right now with the with the transfer with the also with giving new contracts to players like Serge Knabri. They are talking now to his agents for six months, I think, and they're not coming to, to a solution together. And that shows the financial problems. Um, they're paying a lot of money for, for, for salaries. And I think uh, they need to have good solutions for the summer. Also selling players like Bunasar, like Mark Rocca, they need to get some some money for those players. It's so important because losing Alaba, Boateng, now Sule, and probably Tolisso for free is a huge blow for for Bayern Munich. And I'm I I would be very surprised if if, if Ginter would come to Bayern Munich, but it would show the financial problems they have. Yeah, maybe really quickly, Kerry, is one centre back going to be enough? Depends on what happens with, with talents like like Nianzu, Chris Richards. They are planning with Benjamin Pavard as a centre-back uh, because he also wants to play on that position. Then you have Lucas Hernandez, Upamecano, and they expect more from Upamecano. Uh, also expect that Nagelsmann, um, that Nagelsmann's players, also Sabitzer, get better performances show what they can do because we are always criticizing Salihamidzic, Khan, Heine. But in this case, it was a transfer from, from Julian Nagelsmann. He wanted Sabitzer, for example, 50 million euros. And he is like, is his brother is playing, or I don't know. <laughs> it's not the same Sabitzer we saw at, we saw at Leipzig. Um, and this is also Julian Nagelsmann's job to develop those players, but also develop talents. For example, Nianzu. If you talk to Bayern Munich players, they say Tangi is a huge talent. Um, that's what they keep saying. And, and I don't actually understand why it's not working out for him. It's said that he's not good enough in training, making too many mistakes. And Nagelsmann recently said on the press conference that he makes... Too many, too many um, errors. It's not good enough. Too many mistakes, and he has to has to get better. But he didn't play a full match, I think, for more than a half year now, and this is important for young players. So you have to ask also Julian Nagelsmann what is happening with such good talents. Um, but I also spoke to to a source recently who is close to Yansu and told me that Nagelsmann is absolutely right. It's like that. The player has to get better in training. He has to deliver um, before he gets more minutes. But this is also like a big challenge for Nagelsmann, helping those talents to 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 get better. Um, I think he, he makes better right now Jamal Musiala because he's playing. But in the first half of the season, Musiala didn't play that much. Uh, and I think it's important for the whole club that he develops those talents. 
It's a lot going on, Stefan, eh? This does not sound easy when you when you when you keep all of this in mind. Um I think they're going to cruise to the championship this year and win the tenth in a row and set a new European record for the top four leagues. But it's going to be harder next year when you when you consider all of this, isn't it? Yeah, I think so. Um, which is great news for those of us who cover the Bundesliga and have spent the last 10 years arguing for its merits, even though, you know, it maybe doesn't have the most competitive title races other divisions. Although I wouldn't be surprised if, you know, the Premier League and, uh, well, the Premier League in particular, because, you know, uh, Italy and France are already there um, in terms of one one team kind of pulling away from it in terms of their finances. But yeah, it, it could make for very interesting viewing. Um, the, the, the crazy thing about all of this as well is that not only did Bayern have a new head coach, but they also have, you know, a new man running the entire club, obviously, in Oliver Kahn, um, who's also stepping into a new role, or he's now stepping into the role himself. Everything... All the responsibility falls on him. Um, and I think we also take for granted just kind of the, the very solid job that, you know, Romanega did for so many years because prior to this kind of run of domination, Bayern routinely had this reputation for just self-destruction. You know, they have this, obviously they have this nickname FC Hollywood and it's there for a reason because Bayern could put together two or three good seasons of football and then something would happen and they would implode and then a Werder Bremen or a Wolfsburg or a Borussia Dortmund eventually would come along and win a league title while they were rebuilding. And that used to be the the kind of way things happened. Um, And over the last 10 years, I think people have forgotten that. So if we're kind of reverting back to the mean, as you maybe would say, um, in the sense that Bayern will probably have to go through these cycles with their squads and things aren't going to be as smooth as they once were, perhaps, then, yeah. I mean, I'm all for it because it makes the Bundesliga more interesting. Um, <clears throat> I mean, I think there's probably larger economic factors, which we've we've talked about here on the show before in terms of the, the financial pull of the, of the Premier League, which, you know, has been sucking talent out of the Bundesliga for well for the last 10 years now and Borussia Dortmund have probably bore the greatest brunt of that but I think we're now beginning to see its very real effects on Bayern Munich as well because as Kerry makes a great job of pointing out and anyone who's followed him on Twitter and follows his stories knows that he reports on these stories constantly but you know the reason that Bayern Munich are having to play Kingsley Coman so much money, and the reason they're having to pay Serge Gnabry so much money, and the reason they had to pay Leroy Sané so much money to come back to Munich, is because these guys all expect to be earning what they could make in the Premier League. And maybe five or ten years ago, Bayern Munich were fine with that, but it's now becoming something that seriously impacts on where Bayern can spend the rest of their money. So, in a kind of weird way the finances of the Premier League does seem to be kind of leveling the playing field in the Bundesliga because Bayern are now having to struggle the same way that Dortmund have struggled for a number of years. So in that sense, I think it's very interesting. You know, I obviously don't like to see any of the clubs struggle, like to see them thrive, especially in terms of money so people don't lose their jobs or the clubs themselves don't come into risk. I don't think we're obviously 
in that situation with any of these clubs. Maybe Hertha Berlin, but that's their own fault. Uh, but uh, in terms of Bayern, I think financially they're fine, but they maybe are having to learn to live in this new reality that Borussia Dortmund have been dealing with for a number of years now. Yeah, I think part of that new reality too, and this is the final point that I want to make on the show before I let both of you go, Jan Agefjörtoft with a very interesting tweet about Erling Haaland the other day where he said that Team Haaland is going to make a decision and um, watch out for the narrative put out. And I think the narrative that's going to be put out is going to be by Bayern Munich. And um, you just know that the money that Haaland will be making, whether it's going to be at City or Real Madrid, will be leaked to the German press via Bayern Munich and they will point out that they cannot afford this because they're not owned by XYZ and they have to be financially responsible. Um, how off am I on the mark on that, Kerry? Because it does feel like that's exactly what's going to happen when Haaland goes abroad, right? Yeah, I think uh, there were always these speculations about Haaland and Bayern, but right now it's not a hot topic, you know, um, because he, they cannot afford what Haaland, Team Haaland, uh, wants uh, in a financial from financial way. Um, and I think the the idea is to give Robert Lewandowski a new contract. Uh, Uli Hoeneß said some weeks ago that this is essential player for this for this club. Um, and if you look at his stats, it's important to to keep Lewandowski, and he's even not injury prone. He's fit with 33 years, and losing Lewandowski would would also mean that Bayern wouldn't be maybe not that top 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 club like like before um because Haaland is not a real possibility right now could be we we never know in football is anything possible but i don't believe that Haaland will move to to bayern i really see him more in another country what i was um hearing from dortmund from some sources that Haaland loves spain Love also like the weather over there. He's always there in Marbella having vacation. He loves Spanish football. He would like to go to Spain. If this is not possible, he would like to go to England. So I don't see him longer in the in the in the Bundesliga. This is my this is my opinion right now. Um, but yeah, you never know in football. With Lewandowski, it's a big mystery also because you you can see that Bayern. Maybe have us some scared from from Pinizza Harvey because the relationship with him is is very bad after um, the Alaba case, and they need to probably need to offer Lewandowski a better contract. But they say, okay, we don't want to pay more than twenty five million to our players, and that's why Haaland is not a really hot topic because Bayern they have like the salary cap. They don't want to pay more than 25 million to a player. And that's why they may be thinking about, oh no, again with Sahavi in one table. We had this experience with Alaba. Um, so it's very it's very tricky situation. Um, but yeah, I don't see Haaland in Munich. Yeah, neither do I. And I'm hearing the same that you carry. Um, he loves Spain. And obviously also because of his injury history, that's already quite substantial. Um, there is some doubts about going to England, but we have to point out, of course, there were some significant reports linking him to Manchester City. 
um, by the Daily Mail during the week, Stefan, if I'm correct, right? I mean, take the take that whichever way you want. Um, maybe if you want to make a final point on this. Yeah, I completely agree. I I I, I did harbor some a theory lot around maybe this time last year that you know his time at Dortmund was quite conveniently coming to an end just when maybe Robert Lewandowski would consider one final trip to, well, finally to fulfil his dreams of playing in Spain. Um, and obviously there's still a lot of speculation over Lewandowski and, you know, hey, if Manchester United were to come in with 50 million euros this summer and Lewandowski said he wanted to go, I do wonder if things would change very quickly at Bayern as to who and, and what they could buy. Um, but I think it probably all does come down to whether Bayern truly think they can keep Lewandowski or not because without him, as Kerry says, their status as a top club in Europe maybe does take a huge battering and they unquestionably just do not have a player uh, who can replace him at all. So maybe maybe we should finish by putting Kerry on the spot here and ask him if he thinks Lewandowski will stay this summer or next summer possibly. Difficult question again. <laughs> I, I think football, anything is possible. I, I, I'm sure Bayern wants to renew this contract. They, what, but I'm wondering is why they didn't speak to Lewandowski right now to take him with a coffee, saying, "Come on, we will renew uh, your contract, but don't make us problems with your agent." <laughs> because it's interesting because Lewandowski hired Zahavi in 2018 to to transfer him to Real Madrid to a big to another club because he believed he couldn't win the Champions League with Bayern Munich. So this was the reason why Lewandowski hired Zahavi. Um, and he's still his agent, so you never know because his plan actually was to go to Spain one day after Bayern Munich. And maybe also Lewandowski feels, okay, I need a new challenge. Could be because he <laughs> broke every record in Germany. Um, but I don't understand really the position from Bayern Munich. But be because I have the feeling that the same is happening with like with Niklas Süle. Niklas Süle, he they didn't talk, they didn't speak to him for for several months. Didn't offer him the contract. And when they came to Niklas Süle, Niklas Süle already had talks with Borussia Dortmund, and he was also like, "Okay, guys, I'm I will I will leave your club. I will." Uh, play for Borussia Dortmund in the future. And they, it's a very risky situation for Bayern, I think. Um, and they need to um, need to bring now facts on the table. Um, this won't be easy to speak to Zahavi, but they don't have a better option than Lewandowski, in my opinion. They have to renew this contract. Haaland, we talk about this, injury-prone, uh, more than Lewandowski. And the financial the financial package is, is even higher than Lewandowski's financial package. So I would I would stay with Lewandowski, but I don't know what's happening right now at Sebener Straße. I speak to many people and many people are saying it's a mystery. Um, and or we don't want to talk about this. So there's something uh, I, I don't know. It's 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 very strange on on a because you cannot understand that they don't speak to Lewandowski to the best to the best striker they have for many years. It's going to be a very interesting summer, I think, uh, or the, even the time to the summer, dominated by transfer news and um, players maybe leaving, maybe coming, maybe not coming. It's going to be all very interesting. Um, 
Yeah, guys, we're unfortunately out of time. Carrie, thank you so much for coming on. Really appreciate it. We have to do this again. This this was fascinating to listen to, um, as it always is. And um, yeah, maybe before you go, let people know where they can find you. <laughs> in Munich, in the stadium. <laughs> <laughs> Every weekend. <laughs> no, uh, Twitter, Instagram. Uh, I think Twitter is the... It's the social media platform I'm I'm using a lot, posting my articles um, most in German. Maybe I have to I have to communicate more in uh, in English. <laughs> But um, yeah, I I really enjoyed to be part of this podcast. I, I really appreciate your work too, because you're working very good. Uh, also for the English market, it's very important to to promote the Bundesliga and you guys are doing this every weekend, every day, actually <laughs> we are every, everyone from us, I think is a football freak. And this is good. This is good because football is a great thing. Thank you very yeah. much. Thanks so much to you. And like, of course at Carrie underscore how is where people can find you. Uh, make sure to give him a follow because he's awesome. Um, yeah, guys, that's it until next week. We'll be back for another episode uh, until then. Auf Wiedersehen. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.